Hey everyone, and welcome to an eventful life with Brad Cox and Shane Buzzer. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. An eventful life is the podcast where we take you on a journey through eventful lives of inspirational event leaders from around the world. That's right, Brad. We'll be sharing their stories, impact, and insight into the complex world of events. So if you like these stories, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your mates. This is An Eventful Life. Hello, Buzz. How are you, mate? I'm good, Brad. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Have another big week in your life, I assume. It's all happening at your end in the cold depths of winter in Melbourne. It's always a big week, but um, how are you coping back in Melbourne after a trip away in the sunshine? You, mate, you doing was, okay? Yeah, I was in Bali and now I'm all of a sudden back here. It's like I've got jumpers and that many layers on at the moment, but yeah. uh, hey, we just get on with it, don't we? Exactly. So, it's what it is. In one day. It's with yeah. us for a few months, so... Hey, Buzz, uh, we all know that in the world of events, you are only as good as those that you have around you, your support, support network, and that includes our suppliers. And that's what today's uh, episode somewhat geared around. But uh, when you mention the word suppliers, there is one name that rolls off your tongue as the ultimate to so many people. From humble beginnings in the back box of Heidelberg in Melbourne to the ultimate team across the country, Harry the Hirer only needs their name mentioned to anyone in the industry and Everyone knows exactly who you are talking about. From temporary structures, marquees, furniture, decor, exhibitions, production, they cover a wide network of services for the event industry. And today's guest leads their ultimate operation, steering the ship as CEO for seven years and part of the team for nearly 17 years. Would you please welcome the always calm Gab Robinson? How are you, mate? Very good, Brad. Thanks for the kind introduction. That's, That's all right. I, no, told, good, I told you he was a good, good summary. With his no, he's, yeah. he's done very well there. Good like to set these things up nicely so thank you how's things in the uh in your world at the moment you guys are always flat out so we appreciate you giving up some time but uh no doubt busy as usual uh, absolute pleasure to be here uh yeah it's been uh it's been a wonderful year if you think back to where we were a year ago to where mm-hmm. we are today who would have thought things would uh, bounce back as strongly and as quickly as they did so uh, th- there are challenges at the moment but certainly not the challenges we had um from 2020 onwards I think the main difference is half of Melbourne seem to be in Europe or Bali. That seems to be one of the big changes. Yeah, why aren't we there? Exactly. The streets are half empty at the moment. It's crazy. Hey, it was a bit of a tough one to know where to start this conversation as Harry's is such an operation and continues to evolve from sort of it's over 35 years in operation to now having over 500 employees under your guidance. So I thought, can you remember your first day walking in there some 17 years ago and what that was like? Yeah, so um, firstly, business has been around about 45 years. 45 now, yeah, uh, wow. Pre-COVID, we had okay. about 1,250 people. We're back to about 1,000 people now. Yeah. So um, so the position we're in today is is, is, is good. Yeah. Thinking back to when I first started, so um, I had no idea about the event industry, did not know it existed and was certainly not part of my plans. Um, I was in a graduate recruitment program at the time and had come back from Africa, had a credit card debt and, a, and an engagement ring to give my wife to be and needed to, to find a way to pay off that debt and um, uh, pay the rent. And so I just a- answered an ad for manual labour in the, in the Herald Sun, I think it was, wow. and some bloke at, at our Brooklyn warehouse answered <laughs> the phone and said, yeah, okay, if you want to come in, I guess you can. My name's Ivan. Come introduce yourself when you get here, and he he met me, looked me up and down, and the next day I was carrying uh, eight by four floor sheets across scaffold platforms at the Heineken Golf Bump Out. Wow! And I, I my head was just spinning, but yeah. of course you don't really you're not really it wasn't a career. It was simply oh okay I can pay I can pay my rent I can pay off some credit card debt. So that's really all I was concerned about. I wasn't really um, looking around for any other reason. I love the story that you found it in the Herald Sun. That really was how we found jobs once upon a time. That's uh, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And was it what you expected it to be or was it completely different? Did you have any idea about the industry at that point No, in mate, not at all. I, look, I um, when I think back, I, I do remember driving past the big Harry's uh, the big blue Harry's building in Richmond in yep, Burnley yep, Street. Yep. Never knew what it was. Saw the big lettering out the front, Harry the Hire, and I just assumed they were hiring. Looked like a rundown sort of place. They were hiring scaffold or yeah. something. Didn't think twice. But um, uh, when I um, when I started at uh, Brooklyn in the operational capacity, I just thought, my God, if I want hard work and to be physically challenged, you're not going to get any tougher than this because that first week or so, 
Uh, me and another fella who was brand new were just carrying those floor sheets in the wind from one end of an 80-metre scaffold platform to the other and just throwing them down ready for the forklift to pick them up. I didn't know Brooklyn has been around that long. I thought it was relatively new, but uh, clearly not. No, the um, it, it does get bigger over yeah. time as we need more space to store everything. But um, I started 20 years ago in, in yeah, 2003. Wow. How, how many would have been there then, give or take? Um, I'll say a couple of hundred. Okay, yeah, just well. to kind of you know get a bit of a scale as to where you where Harry's five come. times yeah. its size yeah. as of today. I'd say so. a couple of hundred, and um, uh, uh, yeah, it was a very different place to what it is today. Yeah, wow. Well, it would, it would it would be naive of any of us to think that you know Harry the Hire has just clicked their fingers and landed the big jobs that everyone knows about. But back then, was that had that been tapped into yet, or was was there a bit of planning around it, or, or how did that come about? The business, um, we've never been a business to put to put together five or ten year strategic plans. We we evolve organically, and we evolve by employing really good people, buying the best product we can possibly find, trying to build the best relationships with the market, and and service it as best we can. And from there, opportunities have popped up. So way back in the day when Rick started it, he just bought uh, an old army tent and some plastic yeah. tables and chairs and, you know, the cricket club wanted them, the, someone around the corner wanted them, then he needed a bit more and so on and so forth. And it, and it grew in that um, party high side. And then Victoria was embarking upon uh, a, a major event um, policy, yeah. the state was, and we had the horse racing, but it wasn't anything like we understand it to be today. And Rick, uh, yeah, he did a few parties in Turak and then those people um, were associated with the races and things grew organically over time. And so Harry the Hire hand in hand with the Victorian event industry, which is now the biggest in the world yep. and the best in the world and the most sophisticated, we grew together. And as the event industry grew here, Harry's grew. And so we could scale up alongside what was happening and um, support each other along the way. And on a personal level, you said that you started uh, getting your hands dirty, you know, on the tools really. What was your first, I guess, full-time role or how did you start um, your development with Harry? So, so it, was never a, it was never about progression or development or anything like that. I mean, it wasn't until maybe three or four years into my time there that I thought this might be somewhere that I'd, um, I'd stick around and work a few more years. But yeah. really, I was in a, as I said, I was in a 12-month graduate program straight out of university this was just at, at that young age, what was I then, um, 20, 23 or 24, you're just looking to pay the bills. Yeah, and totally. You know, part-time job. I had a double degree and I was thinking, well, you know, if, if working for um, – I'd applied for ASIA, which is one of the government yeah. intelligence arms. What was your degree in? Sorry to interrupt. Arts law. Yeah, okay. So yep. I did that for six years and that you need back – back then you needed a four-year degree to qualify for the graduate program for ASIO. Well, I tried out – it staggered – 12-month recruitment process, bombed out at the final stage in Canberra, Hell as I should have because <laughs> I was very immature. They suggested I come back the following year, but as that happened, the Harry the Hire thing started. Uh, so manual labour for maybe six months or so, which was great as a kid. and yep. You like working hard and yeah. you're out in the sunshine most of the time. And then from there, um, a job opening um, became available in the sales office. And Brett O'Hara, who's been yes. with the business for the best part of 40 yeah. years, said, wow. listen, Gab, this job's popping up. Um, why don't you put in a, uh, an application and see how you go? And so I did that and um, went in and I, I had no idea what I was in for. I was just as green as anything. So back back then, Harry's wasn't didn't have the level of sophistication it did today. But I, I, I thought I'd better put the suit on, better put the tie yeah. on and walk in there and I'd look completely out of place. <laughs> Anyway, Rick was upstairs and um, someone said, oh, just, just walk up those stairs and you'll find him in his office. Open the door and there's this old fella with his legs up on the table, cigarette coming out of his mouth reading the paper. And, uh, you know, that was my first uh, first meeting with Rick and um, luckily enough I got, got the job. Were you daunted and, by that experience, seeing him sitting there like that? No, nah, not at all. I mean, I... I sort of just took it in my stride yeah. and had a bit of a chat, not really knowing anything I was talking about. But at that age, you're just desperate to get um, some sort of full-time role that yeah. gives you security. Totally. Like it's an absolute pot of gold and a dream. And yeah. my salary back then, by the way, was $35,000. That was that was everything I could ever hope for. Yeah. That was wonderful. And then all the insecurity of being a casual 
and not really knowing exactly what the next few months would look like disappeared like that. I thought I've made, I'm made for life. I've got a full-time role at $35,000 a year. What more do I need? Beautiful. And as much as it's grown over time, both business and yourself, there are a couple of things that really stand out to me. Um, yeah, and they revolve around the team. And you mentioned team just a bit earlier and, and the people there. The first is the longevity of so many of them and yourself included in that. And I know from my experience, I still see the same faces year in, year out when I go down there. Um, you know, you're still energetic, loving what they do. Um, what do you think is the key to, you know, being able to retain so many of the team for so long in a very demanding industry in some ways and, and the role that you play within that now? Sure. So you're dead right. It's the strength. The strength of Harry the Hire is, is its people yep. and their experience and their know-how. And um, it all starts with trying to bring the right people into the business to start with. If you don't have the right people there from the moment you employ them, they're never going to last. And it's more last of a skill long. set, Gab, isn't it? It's it's it, it's skill set, of course, that plays a part. But characteristics. Oh, it's skill set is in fourth place. The yeah, most right. important thing is the person. Yeah. Are they a good person? Uh, are they humble, down to earth? Do we, you know, hardworking, fun, happy to have a laugh? Are they nice? Are they going to fit in and treat everyone with respect? Because if yep. that if that's not there, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. So if we find that person, then they, they, they're the sort of person we want to keep in the business. So we're very loyal to them. We reward them as best we possibly can, pay them as much as we possibly can. And if they show talent amongst our good people, we promote them through the business and they, they can get to wherever they're capable. There's, there's really no limit. And you think that's the key to retaining them for so long, yourself included in yeah. that part, or are there some other elements that you look at? Well, you, uh, the key is you... For, I'm not a I'm not an uh, event industry tragic, Brad. I don't I don't love the industry. I yeah. love the teamwork and the people. Yeah, great. So I love the people I work with. I love the mission we're on, achieving things together. So if I wasn't working with people I really liked and respected, then I I don't think I'd be there. But it's the people that are around me that I find so um, so magnetic, and that's why I stick around. And that's the sort of culture. That we um, that we like to build. Having said that, there there are majority of people are in our in our business are they love events, they love exhibitions, so they they love the the pressure associated with all coming together under a huge amount of client expectation and delivering a product uh, to a certain timeline. They get a real buzz out of that. Uh, yeah. I did that. Yeah, they yeah. get a real buzz out of that. So you know, we all like it for different reasons, but it the key is to employ good people, yep. good people, and then reward them for their effort yep. and be loyal and to and them. You mentioned sort of culture just there a minute ago. The second thing that really stands out to me is the personable approach to, to your clients and the industry in general. And you really make everyone feel like you're mate and you're in it together, you know, in terms of when you're working on projects and events as, as part of that team. How have you been able to craft this into the fabric and culture and you know of the organisation and make sure that that's sort of the, the ethos of which you approach mm. the outside world of the four walls of Harry the Hira, so to speak? Yeah, sure. So once again, uh, the starting point is employing the right people yeah. because yeah. Um, if you're not uh, a relationship-based person, uh, you're really going to struggle to form those connections that you referred to. Uh, and then from there, we continually reinforce the fact that there's a number of fundamental drivers which deliver our success. Relationships. So that's relationships with the industry. We like to call them friendships. Yeah. Yep. Um, because if you're friends, generally you can work things out and achieve goals together. We, ha we, we try and get the very best product we can. So relationships, product, uh, service. And as I said, the, the foundation to that is having the right people. So so you're continually, Brad, reinforcing the fact that in order for our business to be successful, in order for you to be successful, you must be able to form friendships with your client base, yep. friendships with industry, trust and understanding. And through that, you're obviously you're in it together because you're, yeah. you're, well, you're mates. Retention as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've said every week nearly, it's like, you know, that whole collaboration piece with events, you know, you're only as strong as the team and those that do support you around you. And, you know, I don't think there's any more truer statement than when it comes to Harry's and, you know, you're always on site and you guys are standing right there next to you in your blue shirts. And mm. it's like, yep, I can always go there and rely on the guys when I need to. Yeah, it's important for to assist with actual delivery, but also culturally. Yeah. It's very important. I was going to say, is it important within the four walls of Harry the Hire that when you're working on such high profile and stressful um, jobs that you've got that camaraderie inside the four walls so you can bounce off each other and support. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. I mean, that's half the reason we never, no one ever worked from home. Because mm. if you're apart, 
you're not a community. So we've always worked together in the office, even over those very difficult periods. So every spare moment you're not doing something, you're building that trust and confidence with the people around you or the people in the other departments. Whereas if you're working from home, when you have a spare moment, you're, you're not putting that time and effort into those ancillary things. You, you know, you're doing the washing or walking the dog. Just one other thing I'll say is this point about teamwork I challenge you to think of any other industry which requires more teamwork, apart from professional sport, than yeah. our industry. Yeah. You know, we've got 1,000 people, 13 different sales departments, 16 different operating departments, five different transport desks, all coming together under intense pressure, high client expectation to deliver something very intricate yeah. to, at a certain date. Now, if you don't trust each other and know how to work well together, what no. chance do you have? It's so true and I mean you use the analogy of professional sport and I tend to do the same. You know, we're like a football team. You know, you've got your coaches up the top and you've got all your players in your back line and if you're not harmoniously from forward line to midfield to back line all working together in one team effort, it's, it'll fall over somewhere. It's and true, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's the best analogy going around I think. So, yeah. And has that helped with, I mean, obviously your own personal development but internally within the team there's a lot of progression within the team to, you know, for, for promotions, more opportunity, you know, a different position. Is that really uh, driven into the, the culture there? I mean, I assume so but do you yeah. want to touch on that? Yeah, so um, everything rises and falls on leadership. So we need really strong leaders in each of our divisions. And as I said, I, I mean, we, we've probably got 30 or 35 different managers through sales, ops, transport and um, service. And so they have to be setting the example. They have to be modelling the right behaviours. And then the others around them pick up on that and they develop in line with that. And as I said, Shane, uh, if, you, if you can shine amongst the quality people at Harry's, you can you go wherever you want to go. But it's up to the individual. Yeah, of course. They've got to prove themselves. Yeah. One of the great traits of the team uh, when things are needed is a short turnaround time. You know, I think yeah. that's a you know a true trait to who you guys are and all those last-minute requests and we've all been in that uh, position. Uh, you know, but when you're on site or at an event and, and you need something last minute and things happen, generally there's a statement of, oh, just ask Harry's, they'll be able to sort it out. Oh, that's, that's um, great to hear. I'm glad you, I'm glad people say that. Yeah. It, which, but it sort of leads me to an interesting question because you guys take on so much stuff and there's always this yes, yes, yes attitude to it, uh, which is fantastic. But internally that comes with extra pressure and you talk about those, you know, those deadlines and, and everyone working together. Does the constant demand of those sort of requests and that methodology impact the business? And how do you, you evaluate the risk, um, you know, on that yes culture? And, and has it ever caused you to come unstuck at any point? <laughs> it's a big, long question. But, no, no. You know, it's, I understand what you're asking. Yeah. So, no, I'm incredibly – we're all incredibly proud that we are seen as that business. Yeah. And that's probably half the reason we are the business that we are today. And we really must guard against becoming a no business – which we, we're more cautious of than being a yes business. Yeah. And we then have a structure and resource that enables us to say yes. So we never take on work that we can't put our hand on our heart and say we can confidently deliver. We won't overburden ourselves, And we know if we take on a major job or contract that there will be last minute things. Yeah. But we won't take on another major contract which wouldn't prohibit us from being able to say yes. So at times if it's really impossible, then we won't say yes and hope for the best. We'll only say yes if we know for sure we can deliver and 99.5% of the time uh, we can deliver on those last-minute requirements. Has that kind of changed a bit though, Gab, in that you know, as businesses grow, you need to take some risks and sometimes take on more work than you can to a certain point. So has, that, has, has the growth of Harry's put you in a position to now have that mindset and mentality where you can – structure decisions a bit better than perhaps mm. you once did? So I'd encourage everyone who's listening to this not to not to take on work which has a question mark over it because that's your reputation. Yep. If you take something on and you can't deliver it to a high standard or can't deliver it at all, you know, that you're only as good as it's your last, last job. Yeah. And that's um that's very, very damaging and it can take you five or ten years to recover from something like that. I'm making notes over yeah. here. So corner, don't yeah. really We've take it. We've always got a couple in the back of our mind, so yeah. without naming names, but yes, keep going, mate. Take, <laughs> a, take a deep breath and work out if you're going to 100% deliver it to a very high standard before agreeing to it. So that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say is we never want to be seen as, and we are, and this is one of the challenges we face, as being arrogant and dictatorial and choosy. Um, if, if we can deliver a responsible return through a job based on the price point um, and we 
aren't at capacity at the time that opportunity arrives, um, then we'll absolutely take it on whoever it is. We won't be, we want to serve the industry. We want to serve our client base. That leads to our growth. But um, we won't take on work at peak times when we don't have capacity and particularly if we can't, if the, if we can't quite get the rate to what our business needs. Yeah. And yeah. that would be a decision of leadership together yeah. to make those decisions? We have some pretty strict um, uh, benchmarks that all of our managers yeah. and sales teams are aware of and if, it, um, if there needs to be a discussion um, uh, following that yeah. um, based on whatever variable exists, um, relationship-based or the client's in a real pickle and needs our help, then we'll get together as a group yeah. and try and make the right call. You don't have to mention any names here, but have you had to say no to a, a larger job or even just um, say no to a request based on the risk element or the danger to not just the event but your brand? Not so much the brand, um, but um, every every week we'll say no to opportunities yeah. of all the time. Um, you, as I said, you've got to be very, very cautious. We we won't overburden ourselves and we don't want to let down our clients. So um, that's, a, that's a regular thing yeah. indeed. You mentioned uh, Rick before, Rick Jamison, you know, who started the company and is still a little bit actively involved in some ways and I'm sure shows his face in there. Oh, now, just on that, I reckon he's retired about six <laughs> yeah, times, I Brad, yeah, but yeah. Um, I, still, John that, I still see him for yeah. some reason. <laughs> but trusting you to take the reins would have been a big step. You know, it's, it was his baby. Uh, how do you go about continuing his legacy in your approach but also put your own mark on the business? So, so he never said, Gab, here you go, run it. That yeah. was never – he said, Gab, I, I want you in this position okay. and, and you're part of the team. So Harry's has a has a senior management group and, and we get together and collectively try and guide the business as best we can. It's certainly not me and everyone else. Is that it's, a plan, Gab, though? Because like, you don't just say, oh, you're going to be the CEO now. Was, that, yeah. was there a 12-month, 24-month or was there a progression plan? No, now? mate. He just said, yeah. I need to have a chat with you and two minutes later, he, uh, it was a complete surprise. Oh, he wow, said, so really Gab, uh, <laughs> I want to make you CEO. I was like, I was, yeah, I was um, completely, completely surprised. Yeah. But the main point isn't that. The main point is we run, we run the business as a collective, and we will debate like we disagree all the time. In fact, I disagree more with the people in the senior team than agree with them, and that is the beauty of it. And we debate, and eventually we work out what the right call is. And once we've made that decision. We're united. There's no corridor convos. We own it and we're, we all support it 100% even if we're opposed when we were making yeah. that decision. And you put that down a little bit to culture and the longevity and like the understanding of the business but the fact that you guys can go in and have those, you know, debates and, and opinions and but knowing that collectively you've got each other's best interests at heart or more importantly the business best yeah, interests at heart. That's the key that no one in that group puts himself before the business Yep. And that's the truth. And when we've we've all worked together for fifteen or twenty years, so you trust each other. So you know you can have a robust convo, and that's just how it is. And yeah. you, and then you get on with it. With regard to my own spin, not real. I don't. I had no strategy to put my own spin on it. I've just tried to be who I am, and um, uh, I hope that how I behave um, sets a certain example for how other people behave and what's needed in in the in our business. But um, that's really as far as it goes to try and have a bit of influence through who I am. And I have to be very careful with who I am because, you know, we're, we, we must always set the right example and who you are inside and who you might need to be every single day without any break isn't always the same. So I'm very aware of how I'm behaving and I don't always get it right, but it's very important to consistently model those right behaviours. And then I guess through my position... Um, you're, you're involved in decision-making and I'd probably um, see things a little differently to others so I can bring, not necessarily right, but I can bring a different perspective. So through modelling the right behaviours and having a slightly different view of things, those are, the, I guess, the two ways that I um, contribute to our business. And does Rick still have an influence in, in any way? Does he always, occasionally put you aside and say, oh, Gab, I, was, I saw this or Maybe I thought the, that? Or the smoking policy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that might have well gone. More so, <laughs> like we run the business um, without Rick day to day, yeah. but uh, if he sees something he doesn't like, he'll come in and he'll seriously tell us about it. And and big decisions, he big decisions, not the day to day operational yeah. or sales stuff that any, but big decisions. Absolutely, he's the sole owner of the business, and he has every right. And it's wonderful to have him there, um, you know, for those occasional moments when he he does want to tell you something. And looking back from his humble beginnings, you know, a few tents and temporary structures, 
How has Harry's become so diverse in its offerings and in your opinion, you know, such an established and respected brand? Uh, well, established and respected brand is we keep our word. We have that integrity. We don't let people down, Shane. Like we're ve- very cautious about mm. taking on the work or we try not to let people yeah. down. We always – we occasionally stuff things up as everyone does. Um, so that's your, that's, that's your reputation. With regard to the product offering, as I said at the start, we just try and do a good job and l- speak – with our clients, understand what they may need, understand what industry may need, and you slowly just add those things into your offering and your your products. And all yeah. of a sudden, you, you start off with a canvas tent and some chairs, and then here we are today doing parties, events, exhibitions, productions, custom build signage, pretty much everything that industry has told us they need, and we can then build that into, in, yeah. increase our scope of works and build it into our existing And no uh, one else contracts. has really ever been able to do that, and it's an interesting point. You, know, you look around at a lot of different suppliers, and some might have two or three arms to their business, but to have the volume of arms that you guys do and be able to deliver on every single one of them, it makes you a bit of a unicorn in that space in a great way, mm. um, but it's certainly something that makes you guys stand out, yeah? Yeah, we were very lucky um, in the event industry in Victoria because we grew hand in hand with what became the events capital of the world. Yep. So it gave us huge strength, which and, and Victoria uh, surpassed New South Wales and South Australia and Queensland. So we were we became an expert in our field, which we could then roll out to the other states because Victoria is the most sophisticated event environment. In addition, um, so exhibitions then came on. 25 years ago, let's say, because we had this full-time workforce that was busy during the summer months but really didn't have much to do in the winter months. And that's very hard to maintain from a cash flow perspective and profitability perspective because you need 600 people during the peak season but when there's nothing on, you need no one. And you you might lose that experience and certainly the profitability is an issue. So um, before my time, they introduced the exhibition arm of our um, business through Paul Herman and um, and so that provided Harry's with great stability through 12 months of the year. And it also meant that we could bring our unique and high-end event product into the exhibition space, yeah. which the exhibition space hadn't seen before. No, no. They were more used to that corporate stuff. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. so through no real um, well-thought-through strategy, but just because we've slowly evolved and organically grown, we've been able to – have strength and size and capability, but also um, add different industries to our business. And it doesn't just happen though. So did was it a case of getting one job turned into two jobs, turned into three? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah and you just try and prove yourself every time, Shane, and um, hopefully over time you, you get the right people in your business, the right product, people have confidence in it. And retention, grows. I guess, in the exhibition space because they are commonly run year on year and even if it's a different state, you can deliver that. So That's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, nice. Large-scale public events, you know, it's sort of become one of the cornerstones of, of what you guys do now. Um, from a supplier's point of view, and I use that term very loosely for you guys, what do you look for in these partnerships, you know, with some of these major events and, and what do you consider and how do you structure your teams, you know, to make sure that you can deliver to your point uh, on such large, complex projects? Um, well, look, generally we'll take – as long as we've got capacity, we'll take them on. We're not – we don't evaluate whether or not it's um, – you know, going to, they've got the right team or it's a, the right style of project. We simply, um, if we've got capacity at that time of year, we'll, we'll, we'll take it on so long as we can get the, um, the, the commercials in order. Yeah. So, so there's, there's a number of good businesses in our industry. There's a number of different price points in our industry. And so um, some businesses will work with some events because that's a price point that suits both parties. Um, given our overhead, there's a certain level of, that uh, we need to charge at. So our clients also have to be able to sell their event to their marketplace at, at that level as well. As long as those things tie up, then off we go. We don't we don't take it any further than that. There's no further analysis than Which that. Which is nice. It's a, I mean, it's a very privileged position, uh, and I say that as a compliment that you're, you're in that space to be able to do that because it is hard. You know, there's constant push, especially the last – few years for obvious reasons and also just the, the costs inflation now so to be oh, able isn't to, that a yeah, that, that yeah. so when i said at the start that it's good but there's challenges that's our biggest challenge yeah. at the moment yeah. our cost of doing business has gone up over 35 percent since we re- resumed trade post-covid 
Yeah, which is a huge number. 35%. Yeah. So our, our um, wage rate, so we have salaries and wages, salaries and office, so they're up over 20% and our wage rate has gone up over 34 35% yeah. hourly wage rate. And 50 cents in every dollar we make goes into our payroll. So the impact that's had on us and then fuel and cartage and yeah. shipping and e-tag and well, every other utility cost else. you can yeah. think of. It's just gone through the roof, which has put a lot of pressure on industry. Yeah, totally. And I think that's probably the biggest point. You know, we saw the industry reopen and everyone sort of come back on board, but they still wanted everything back where it was. But the reality is that wasn't the case and put a lot of pressure on, particularly on the supply network. Well, and well, it's put an equal amount of pressure on our clients because yeah. we can't absorb 35 40% no. increase in doing doesn't business. Mean, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we have to have mature convos with our, with our wonderful clients to say, guys, we need some help here. Yeah. We can't absorb it. We're going to have to work something out I'm, I'm keen to run something by you gab so i'm um, just uh you know in line with what we're now talking about i'm working with someone i'm pricing something up they haven't rolled out their event since 2019 for obvious reasons in, mm -hmm. in this instance but they're still looking at that budget from 2019 which i didn't work on that event but they're referring to that so often and i'm trying to finesse the wording around well hang on, we're not fucking in 2019 anymore. Like prices have gone through the roof. Yeah. Is that something that you're having to... Yeah, guess? sadly, you're 100% yeah, right. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if um, your client's job's requoted and then it's more than 50% the cost of what it was last time. They told me it's, yeah, nearly... Yep, it's around that. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. And um, it's not that we're... The, the, the perception might be that, oh, we're using this as an opportunity to... Uh, profiteer or gouge, but it's simply not the case. Yeah. And people say, oh, but in inflation's only gone up 7 or 8%. We're, we were under a huge amount of pressure to maintain our workforce who were going into logistics, warehousing, um, and, uh, construction with all yeah. the Vic Victoria's big build. We need to lock in a full-time workforce of around 1,000 people to deliver our um, events and expos confidently every time. So we have to, we have to uh, reward them to a similar level to what they're being offered in other industries. Yeah, and other industries are paying a lot more and there's yeah. just, sadly, there's nothing we could do about that. And have you seen that impact your business in terms of the client stuff, in terms of having to turn things away or projects not going ahead purely based on the fact the cost has gone up so much? Mm, I can't think of any um, projects that were planned that didn't go ahead. Okay. And I can only, I, I can count on one finger, I think the number of um, clients that couldn't continue working with us and we've tried to be um, uh, very accommodating and not heavy-handed in coming to agreements with our clients to to both be able to navigate our way through. And the industry's just been um, wonderful, understanding and, and wonderful. Taking a bit of a slightly different approach, I wanted to touch on your team's networking um, in particular. And it's something that, you know, again, you're sort of renowned for, you know, hosting events in-house for the industry. You know, you host clients at major events in particular. The touch points with your clients are thoughtful and we often talk about personal connection, but the scale and investment you place on this, um, you know, again, somewhat unseen by others in the, in the field. How do you go about measuring the impact of that investment and time? Mm. The beers are always appreciated. <laughs> Good. No, that's kind of what I'm getting at on a, <laughs> on a more formal question side so of things, but it's a, it's a big part of what you guys do, yeah? Well, I'm glad you – I'm really glad you've, you see that and uh, appreciate it because it's – as I said, there's a couple of fundamental drivers to our success and relationships is right at the top. Yeah. So it's all it's all about getting to know people out of the office. That's yeah. all it is. When you're in the office, it's a different dynamic. You're behind a desk or you're surrounded by work, so you're not thinking like you might socially. When you could get someone out of the office, whether it be um, having a beer at an event, whether it can be walking through the National Gallery, whether it can be on the golf course, whether it's having morning tea, whatever it is, and you're outside of the office, you, you, the barriers are gone and yeah. you're just building the trust and understanding and friendship and um, that's what yeah. it's all about. And it is friendships. You know, I can yeah. remember my very first social outing, I'll call it that, with, with Harry's a very long time ago and, and the person who was working for you at the time and we're still mates now and like he doesn't work for you anymore, not even in the industry anymore. Good. But we still see each other probably because we're out till four o'clock in the morning and we can't remember much of the night. <laughs> but wasn't Alex Nesteros? No, was he? He was always no, my no favorite. names mentioned. But, yeah. um, but it's all, it is about relationships and it's about it is. connection and stuff. And, and you're right, you sort of take yourself out of that work environment. Well, and, but it's fun at the same time. Let's not discount it. You, know, yeah. you guys always put on a great thing. And I think that's why you, you know, become so emotionally invested in, in yeah. your company, even from the other side of the fence. Oh, that's good to hear. Like if you think back to your, your friends outside of any work connection you'd do anything for them 
that's what it's all about, friendship. So, you know, it, it makes sense if we want to enjoy ourselves and have good fun at work and be successful, we may as well have a really strong bond with everyone we work with and there's nothing more than that. Yeah, and for you personally, you've always come across as a very calm person, like yeah. I mentioned at the start, you know, in control of what's happening. Is that always the case and how do you take time away from the operations of a 24-7 business, let's not, you know, sugarcoat it, to, to balance your responsibilities and commitment? Yeah, uh, so firstly, um, I'm not doing it by myself in any yeah. way and there's far more capable people at Harry's than me. So I take massive comfort in the fact that I've got this incredibly experienced team of people at every level, not just at a senior level, every level from the – People who are building the marquees and delivering the furniture and installing the expo stands and putting the lights in, there's experience. So that gives you a lot of comfort that things are going to look after themselves. And then um, from a personal level, um, like, you know, people talk about pressure and these sort of things. I don't really, I certainly don't feel any overwhelming pressure. I, I just go about doing the best job I possibly can. And if that's enough, Brad, the results will be there. If it's not enough, the results will be there and you get a tap on the shoulder yeah. and, and things will change. And then I just put a lot of time into um, um, just being as healthy as I possibly can, like having a really strong foundation. So I'm up early every morning. I'm, I meditate. I stretch. I read. I exercise. Um, I have a cold shower. Oh, wow. I've had a cold, cold, sh- cold shower. Every morning oh, for about wow. seven years, which is just a horrible thing to do, Shane. Yeah, yeah. Horrible thing to do. What time in the morning do you do those? Because Hugh Jackman's got a great story. He does his and then goes back to bed. Does he? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm up at 3.30 in the oh, morning wow. and I do all those things I mentioned to you and I don't know, the cold showers generally around uh, five o'clock or something like that. Yeah. And it's it's not for the health benefits. It's more so to get yourself accustomed to do doing things you don't want to do. A little uncomfortable. Willpower and determination. Jeez, I thought you I got up early say, at four thirty-five. Yeah, my, my alarm goes off at five. I got to lift my game, Gabby. <laughs> look bad, but uh, it's a little segue actually into one of the questions I wanted to ask: is what is an average day for you? I know that probably doesn't exist, but you know, no, you're they, the CEO they, of, a, of a massive events company. What does yeah. a day look like? In yeah, your well, world? forget the title. So there's just. Um, Harry's is a very flat business. I, we all sit together on one yeah. level of Harry the Hire yeah, and we yeah. all just get involved and help out and wherever we can direct our attention, we will. Um, but going back, um, I'm up early, as I said. I'm doing all these things to give me that foundation. Should When things are tough, you can rely on yourself because you know you're never going to fail because you've built that, that inner strength. Exercise, get to work. I generally go through the uh, reports for about half an hour every morning um, to see how – the business is tracking, all the areas of the business are tracking through our live reporting. Yep. So are you in very early given the fact you're up so early? No, I used to be in a lot earlier. So I generally get in around 7.30, quarter to 8. Okay. Um, yep. We start at 8 o'clock, go through the reports, try and get around and say hello to as many people as I can just to see how everyone's going and not to be separate in any way. And then, you know, there might be various things that are required on at the day or troubleshooting or things pop up. And then if I'm idle, I'll, uh, we've got a Sydney office, so I yep, yeah. try to get up there if I can see a week that's a bit slow. Or alternatively, if um, there's not much happening in the office, I won't just stand behind the computer. I'll get out on site. If generally, we've got so much going on. I'll pop down to the MCEC. I'll pop to the REB. I'll head out to any private jobs I've got. Uh, and if none of that's happening, or even if it is, then it's all the relationship stuff. Yeah. So we've got 20 or 30 clients that we, f- we we each focus on. So if things are a bit quiet after all those things I said, let's see if someone's available for a coffee or lunch or whatever it might be. Ask, so you still are very client-facing in your day-to-day. That's Absolutely. Great. Yeah, good on you. And then, um, you know, I'm generally I, – I don't leave late. I'm out of there at, um, I don't know, quarter past five, 5.30 and um, really enjoy – I've got two kids, yep. 17 and 15, and my that's wife. Fun. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant though. I, I'm blessed. I've got yeah. fabulous kids and so uh, that's really the, the, the focus. And luckily um, I've always had the ability, no matter what my role is at Harry's, to Harry's is a family-owned business. Yep. So we have an appreciation of families and um, I've never missed one important thing in their life. Fantastic. It's a, and I've coached cricket, I've coached footy, um, which is early, you know, out, out of work early Tuesdays and Thursdays and um, even um, um, weekend coaching when we've got major jobs on. I've never missed anything that I felt was important. And 
And do you think that's part of the ethos of, of Harry's? Like they've been able to support you through and everyone else on the team to do that, you know, and be able to spend the family time, but also operate as a family and a family business, mm. even though it is big. Yeah. So for me, I've loved it because yeah. um, I um, family's number one, work's number two. And so um, to be able to have a, a, a good career but also not um, sacrifice anything with my family is is really important, really important thing. With regard to Harry's being a family-owned business, you know, it's, it's a crazy place, Harry's. Yeah. <laughs> because when you have one person in charge, um, you know, you, it's not like a committee gets together yeah. and reasons and this with, with Rick. Um, and so... Um, that is what makes it so exciting that yeah. all of a sudden you think you're heading in that direction and then you, you're heading down there and you're scratching your head yeah. going, what's, what's just going on? takes two or three years for people to adjust to that because it is, it's, it's very unorthodox. But once you get used to that, um, you really begin to enjoy it and it, it leads to a lot of excitement in, yeah. our, in our work day. And probably another reason why people stay so long in that business and you do have the longevity in your staff and your team as well. For those that get through. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So It's yeah. hard. Yeah. And yeah. when you talk cricket and footy, the old uh, Harry's footy match, have you ever seen that, mate? I haven't, no. Oh, oh, it's a ripper, that one. Big so I out. think <laughs> we've, um, we've paused it for the last few years because yeah. of COVID and we didn't have a workforce. But yeah. I think next year it should be back, back on. on. But just out. to give you an indication, I think we We've had we've either had three or four games. Three of those, my ribs were broken. Yeah, we're playing uh, for sheep stations. I was going to say. Yeah, well, I am. I mean, I am always voted the person who takes it the most serious. But um, it is great yeah. fun. It, it's all. It's about team. That's. It's not about who wins in any way. It's really just getting everyone together, the ops and the sales guys, and having a crack and having a bit of fun. Yeah. Tell Marcus I'm going to get involved in the next <laughs> one and try and take him out. Okay, yeah. the size doesn't matter. I'll, I'll have a We got to five thirty in your day, and I cut you off. But what? Just out of interest, what time do you go to bed if you're getting up at three? Generally, I'm asleep around nine thirty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so six so. hours sleep a night and well, something, yeah, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. I yeah. just uh, I'm a morning person, so I'm so I'm up early. The point I'd make out of all of that though is um, it's really important for people to work on what's inside. It's the most important oh, thing. Yeah. You can't deal with life and deal with challenges at work and and complexity of all of that if you aren't comfortable and solid inside. And so I don't think I really realised that prior to starting to build these disciplines in, in my life. But yeah. five or ten years into doing all the things I do, I, I now realise how important it is. So you now have confidence that no matter what the challenge is, you're not gonna you'll be able to meet that challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And you have an awareness through meditation, you have an awareness of who you are and how you behave, yeah. which I never did before meditation and, and therefore the impact that can have on others around you. Yeah, totally. So unless this is unless your internal is sorted and your mind's sorted, you you're never going to be fully comfortable and working to your full potential. I think it's so true. And I mean, I've spoken about it before in my own personal story, but you, this industry in particular, you can get caught out real quick because it's not nine to five. You're going 24 yeah. seven. There's a lot of influences in a lot of different areas where you can run off the rails and in, and I use that term, you know, it's a bit harsh, but you know, again, personal experience until you can really understand your place and your position mm. and, and, you know, guide yourself in in that way. Mm. Uh, it's such an important part to making sure you've got the longevity in there, but also stay grounded. Totally, man. And like even the most basic things, get a good night's sleep, yep. eat well, exercise nice. so you're fit. And meditation for me is nothing more than exercise for my mind. Yeah. It's great to see too because there's so many bad stories in, in the industry from historical nature and I go back to, you know, it's just the way it was done in yeah. the previous, you know, iteration, previous generations where you know, people were sleeping under stages and they were drinking <laughs> heavily and there was a lot of, you know, drug Drugs, influence, honest, dare I say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And just that culture that was there where it started from, particularly in the production space, um, that sort of built the industry on its foundations. But now to see, you know, leadership like you've got – and being able to, you know, those healthy habits and stuff being influenced back into the industry, I think it, it'll give it its longevity. Um, it's important. It's also hard. And I, I yeah. say from personal experience as someone who's now four years into uh, running a business, uh, I, I don't probably have that yet. I, I try my best, but it is really hard to find that balance. And, and But you must notice if you have a week or two weeks of going without one of those early morning routines, you would really notice that. I Spot imagine. on, yeah. Shane. So I don't, I don't miss... I, every day I do it. It might only be that I'm on a houseboat with 10 other people and I find it hard to meditate for yeah, one okay. day, but it is ultra consistent. There's no, that's the key, consistency. Yeah. People might start to meditate or might exercise and after three weeks it's stopped. I don't miss a day. 
And um, I don't allow the time that I do that to be compromised. So that's why I get up early. So I can live my whole life before I come to work. If I'm up at 3.30 and I don't get to work till 7.30, there's four hours. And that's just full of – there's no distractions. No one's up. And it's just full of the time for me to do what I need to do to be solid. Just out of curiosity. So I've got my – um, son and daughter into the exercise. Fantastic. Um, the meditation, I'm not there yet. Um, I'm not sure if um, if the time's right, but it would be the, the if I could give them the gift of um, physical exercise and meditation, it, a, along with the education they're already getting, it's the greatest gift I can give them. Yeah, wow. but people think meditation's all loopy stuff. It's no, not no, at all. No. It is. It's exercise for your mind, and in order to and it's incredible how calm this can be and what you can get out of your head if you just put consistently put the time and effort in. And, Brad, the, the one thing I'll, if people are encouraged to do, don't give up. Yep. You don't ever arrive with meditation. No. So how people, long have you been doing it? Um, I'd say six years. Okay. And yep. I, don't have, you know, I don't miss a day. But people say, oh, I tried it but I couldn't do it. Of course you can't do yep. it. Like pe- unfit people can't run a marathon. Mm, correct. Until they exercise to do it, and then after six months or nine months, they can. It's it's no different to meditation. Yeah. You just got to stick with it. And looking at yourself now, compared to you know twenty three year old Gad that started Harry Hira, you know, lifting scaffolding and so forth. Do you wish you'd had some of these practices earlier no. in your life? Or? No, that's a journey of <laughs> yeah, life. Great. No, I had a. I was I was all over the shop back then, but yeah. that's what life's about. Yeah, and yet there be. was a, I was having the time of my life. But you know, hopefully the right people. Um, you, re- you might read something in a book that really gets you thinking that meditation might, might be useful or exercise. Give it a go and just stick with it. And I guarantee you it will uh, make you a happier and, and better person. Yeah, he, he, I uh, wholeheartedly we're all, we're all agree. Smiling so, and yeah. nodding and yeah, yeah. We, we get hey, it. Many of our listeners are event managers, planners, producers, uh, et cetera. From your point of view, what are some of the most important sort of tips you can give them on how best to get the most out of their suppliers and their engagement with the, you know, people like yourself? Yeah, good question. I think they should be open to a, a relationship um, and build a relationship communication develops. And so there, there's real trust and confidence there. Um, I think they should uh, certainly from a Harry's perspective draw upon all the various um, offerings we've got and the level of experience within our business and then more more um, down-to-earth things or basic things just to be as when we're getting a brief to be as organized and precise as they possibly can be in telling us what they need so you, you get this bit of a joke about organizers not being organized yeah. And, and that does happen and that makes it problematic and it also makes it expensive um, because it costs us more time than it should and there might be inefficiencies on site which have to be dealt with. So um, use our experience um, but be organised, um, have a crack, you know, push themselves yeah. um, because we've got a very, very healthy market. There's a lot of opportunity out there. Which is uh, growing. It is like um, I'm just so so thankful and proud of those first events and organisers following. um, So it must have been January 21, Omicron, um, Oz Open Tennis. And there was this period of three months between the tennis, which was reduced in capacity and um, Grand Prix wanting to happen in March. And the government was holding its nerve. Omicron's popping up. Do we hold events or not? And those um, event organisers and expo organisers that, had the courage to push ahead were all rewarded and they had far greater attendance than anyone expected. And the reason I'm raising it is if you have a crack to this point in time, we have found that every event and exhibition has surpassed its targets. So um, getting together, um, being with other people, it's in our DNA. It's not, it's not going to go away. And so um, I just encourage people to, 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 to think a bit outside the box and have the courage to push ahead and, Mostly, they get rewarded for their efforts. I, I love that answer. We had one. We had a big one cancel during that Omicron period, um, and I was shattered more because I just, I, I you know, we, we were so big at the time on getting bringing people back together, and yet the the attitudes of you know parts of the media and government were, mm. were going back to that panic. Oh shit! Let's actually keep everyone separate again but no it was all about let's get them back together people were, were re- there was an appetite for it mm. and you can understand why you were cautious because these people are this might be their life savings that are going to go into staging the event and yep. if something outside of their control 
stops it happening, where do they go from there? Yeah, and there were so many that had that similar story, you know, and it sort of been burnt once and they didn't want to go again. Oh, that hesitation it? was there and um, so. It was so, incredibly, it was incredibly challenging period of time. Yeah, yeah. We and forget. S- and still is to some, for some people these days, you know, I think we're still in that rebuilding phase and there's great the opportunities there and we're now getting a bit more support and so forth. Talking about the future and, and looking at the future for you guys, I know you're at the forefront of things like sustainability and diversity and, and so forth. What are some of the trends you're seeing and some, how do you go about you know looking at what's coming in the future and, and mm. adapting to the marketplace to make sure you are relevant? Yeah, make sure we are relevant. That's pretty important. And open-minded, I imagine. Yeah, too, oh, right? yeah so like we, um, we're constantly under pressure from all the quality uh, suppliers in Victoria around the country in each of the product groups that we supply to. So... You can never have a day off and there's some fantastic offerings out there in um, whether it be other temporary structures, whether it be other furniture options, whether it be other exhibition build and production um, offerings. So um, you, you, you've got the competition yep. and that can either be a challenge or it can be an opportunity and we've got to see it as an opportunity and we've got to evolve and we've got to stay in the, at the forefront and be better and that's hard and we're not. We're not, we're half the time we are, half the time we're not. And when we're not, we get overtaken really, really quickly. So we need to have the right people with the right vision and creative mind. And that's my greatest weakness. I'm not a creative person. I'm not a product person. We need a really strong team that can see it before anyone else does and can get it going in our business so we can introduce products that no one's ever seen before that keep us at the forefront. It, and, and trust too, I imagine, to pull the trigger on that if it's new or something a bit diverse. Yeah, and we've got um, a culture of doing that. If we think it's the right product, we'll, we'll go for it and, and nearly all the time it works. Uh, so, if you, so the key really is irresistible product, irresistible yeah. product. Um, and that, that is what we have – and we let ourselves down and we do and that's just life but we always have to leapfrog and, and get back in front. Uh, sustainability is a big thing. Yeah. So we used to sort of, oh, you know, sustainability, green policy, oh, yeah. Uh, but that is – The that reality is, of it is that very is different. Fa- that is fair dinkum. And um, I, back a few years it used to maybe be um, uh, a, a – some benefit in a, in a bid to have a green policy and, oh, that might help us a little. But in a year or two, I think you're actually going to be locked out of opportunities yeah, totally. if, you don't, if you're not ESG friendly yeah. and you don't have um, genuine uh, substance behind what you're yeah. doing. And if you had to change the way you're doing something, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, fabrication and custom builds. Everything. And, you know, single-use products and stuff yeah. that, you know, you did have a lot of back in the everything's day but you had to changed. change the way you've done it. Yeah, everything's changed. too, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, you know, um, all of our, our, our purchasing, you know, it's, it's front of mind, how we package our gear, how we get it to site, what we do with it. Um, most of our stuff is reusable because we're a high business. Yeah. But um, things like our custom builds, yes. um, we've, we've recently found a, a new uh, partnership with a, a company that's um, recycling 90 or 93% of everything that goes into our custom builds, which is a massive win because that was our biggest area of, wa- yeah, of wastage. Yeah. So that's hugely important. And, and is there a responsibility on something like that? You go back to the team and you know, being so flatlined, is it everyone's responsibility to bring those things to the table or have you got a dedicated team or you know people that look at these initiatives and, and bring them to the table for you? So, so we didn't structure it in that way but um, once again having quality people in your team, someone it's just an interest of someone and they enjoy working on it and um, and all of a sudden they start driving that process. Yeah, so yeah. Michael Furman who works yeah. in our exhibition business, that's been something he's been heavily involved in yeah. and um, – and, and through that messaging and through general awareness and Scotty Billing, who manages our workshop, he found this unique uh, recycling uh, business for all of our uh, MDF and uh, cabinetry product. Yeah. And oh, do you I'll find be it, asking about that yeah. later. <laughs> like, yeah. And do you find it difficult, some of those things, to, you know, again, big business, you know, big operation to, to implement some of those processes? And another great one, you know, we're seeing a lot of change in policy around diversity in a good way. But, you know, for example, you know, changing – you know, ramps and handrails and, you know, mm. it's not just changing one, it's changing hundreds of these products, mm. at, you know, once and very quickly and being able to adapt to that. How do you, how do you sort of no, manage I that? I, I've never seen it as a, a major challenge or difficulty. I, I think we become aware of things. Well, and it's been enforced really, which it is what it is. So Yeah, we yeah. become aware of it and then we just start, you know, maybe we're a bit slow on some things, but when it 
gains real momentum and it becomes necessary, then you just find a way uh, yeah. find a way to do it. With regard to diversity, I mean that's um, I'm really strong on this. What whoever the right person is will get the role. Yeah, totally. Like and and whoever it is doesn't yeah. doesn't matter. We've got people from all over the world working for us now, which is just fabulous. And um, if they if they shine and show their ability, they'll be given whatever opportunity they deserve. One last question before we get into the hard hitting ones sure. from Buzz. For you, what does success mean in both business and in events? Well, for business, I think it's um, setting targets and chasing them down, keeping the team together, um, enjoying yourself, having a great culture, yeah. um, the uh, exceptional teamwork. That's that's winning for me. Uh, if we get the basics right, generally our business achieves what it what it needs to achieve. Uh, success for event is when our clients are stoked. They just couldn't be happier. They come to us and say, you know, you you took so much pressure off our shoulders. We never had to worry about anything. We know you might be a little bit more expensive than the others, but we had complete confidence that you'd get it done. Every deadline you met and we never had to worry. Yeah. And they had a good result. That That's success in, in an event or an exhibition. I love hearing that. And for you personally? Um, for me personally... Well, I think it's keeping the team together because that's what guarantees our success and just ensuring we work really well as a team. Yep. Everything else looks itself looks after itself from there. And the the the, the most basic building block in that is employing the, the best people we can find. So Harry and myself, um, Harry's Rick's son, yep. we try and meet every single person who um, joins our business in the sales and service side, whether it be in yep. Sydney or Melbourne, uh, from the most junior uh, to the most senior. Um, and then if we haven't met them because we're away or something, then we'll go out to lunch and get to yeah. know them. Interesting little question on yeah. that, you know, in terms of those that don't know, is Harry the Hire literally named after Harry, as in Rick's son? It's Because that was going to be my first rapid fire yeah. question. Yeah, well, oh, sorry, man. No, I'll answer that. So, so yeah. as I said, Harry's has been a, around for about 45 years and ha young Harry Jamison's 33 now, yeah. I think. And um, I think about 30, 34 years ago, Rick was wondering whether or the, the business was only 10 years old and he was wondering whether or not he should hold on to it. I think maybe he was thinking he'd, he'd pass it on to someone else, but he loved the name Harry yeah. and he had a kid on the way. And he said, you know what? I think the business might be going, but I'm going to name my, my second son Harry. Yeah, love it. Sorry, mate. I should have read your questions before I <laughs> no, answered that, but it's a good little segue. So let's hit Gab up with what you got left. All right. Well, I'll cross off that first question. <laughs> that no, that's a great answer. So it's funny though. That, so Harry so. started on the phones at yeah. Harry the Hire and it was a great icebreaker for him when he, g'day, this is Harry from Harry the Hire, how can I help you? That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that is so really good. good. <laughs> All right, so uh, rapid fire questions quick, off the cuff. All right, your favourite event to attend? Uh, I like golf tournaments because they're so chilled. Did you go to live? No, I missed out. We had a crisis, so unfortunately I didn't get there. But um, okay. golf tournaments, you can just sit on the deck. Usually it's sunny and there's no pressure. Nice. Um, do you have a favourite hire item that may have ended up in your house? <laughs> <laughs> so I do have half a dozen samples, Shane, that I was allowed I like to the take. Word samples. samples. Yeah, yeah, they didn't go ahead, so I was allowed. I was allowed to take those. But um, favourite hire item at the moment would have to be our Highline structure, which was used for Red Bull and the the Grand Prix lounge entry. And it, ju it just looks extraordinary. When you grew up with clear span tents with white canvas yeah. and then you see this high line structure, mm. it just blows my mind where our business has come to. Unbelievable. Has got to. It's yeah. quite incredible. I'm just making a note. Use the word sample. All right. <laughs> okay. Now high line structure. Needs I am out. able to delete certain answers <laughs> yeah. in this, aren't I? Yes. Um, sorry. Uh, what's your favourite way to spend a Sunday free of any commitments? Uh, exercise, do all the things I normally do, exercise, lie on the couch, read the paper, hopefully the sun's out, read a book in the backyard and spend time with my wife and kids. Nice. Um, any new event trends to watch out for? Uh, the event landscape is changing and changing very quickly. Uh, clients want more uh, diversity in the product offering. They don't, um, they're, they're interested in all the different products that the world can offer. And so we're beginning to see very different uh, event builds, whether it be at tennis or at a Grand Prix or a spring racing carnival. So I think it's, I think it's um, not, not having a uniform look. It's more so having a bespoke look, and that's not just limited to furniture. It's, yeah. it's temporary infrastructure as well. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Uh, listen, but make your own decision. 
And my final one, you've got three people coming to your place for dinner. Who are they and what music are you playing for them? Mate, boring answer, but it's my wife and two kids. And I'd probably – my son's – DJing at the moment and he's oh, playing some out. really yeah. cool music so he'll be on the decks. So it's all the Robinsons in. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, I'm afraid so. That's okay. No, that's very nice. It's all about family. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Business and personal life. Hey, mate, it's been great to chat. I think we could sit here and talk about, you know, a thousand more things, but, uh, you know, you, you're a very busy man, so we appreciate you taking the time to, to have a chat to us on an event for life and uh, and sharing your story uh, and your thoughts, but also that of, uh, of Harry's, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thanks, Brad, and uh, really glad to be invited. Um, I don't normally do this sort of stuff because I don't like things about me, but I, I come here on behalf of Harry the Hire and appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for your time, Gab. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for listening to An Event for Life. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to listen to more episodes. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. And this podcast is produced by EOS Creative. See you next time on An Event for Life.